Father in heaven, it's just a joy to be here again this morning. We love being together with your people and around your word and confident in the Holy Spirit's presence here today as he will take the word and apply it to our life. And just pray that we would be kept from error and that we would be able to uh, cut the truth straight today as we go through uh, the last three uh, descriptions of love that were so wonderfully written down for our benefit. Pray that it benefit us personally, but more than that, benefit the bride of Christ and Christ Himself. That will be a, a true witness to uh, those who are our brothers and sisters, and also to those in this world around us. Give us grace to to be able to love one another in a way that is described here. We need you every hour. We cannot bear fruit without you. Pray this in your name, Christ. Amen. <coughs> So it might feel a little rapid fire today, but I, I kind of intend to do, do it that way just so we have time for both. The, uh, the quote there at the top by Mariano DeGangi, I think I'm going to go ahead and skip that. But I wanted to, to just point out again the Holy Spirit in <clears throat> the book of 1 Corinthians, particularly in 1231, is inspiring Paul to write of a more excellent way and where he says, and yet I show you a more excellent way, uh, that's not just a good way or a better way, but it's what the word there is actually hyperbolic, which means uh, magnified or extravagant or overstated, except we know that truth can't be overstated. Something that goes hyperbolic just goes kind of off the charts. And uh, the word excellent is translated hyperbolic in that context, but it's translated beyond measure in Galatians 1.13 and surpassing greatness in 2 Corinthians 4.7. So Paul's telling us that he's going to show us not just a great way, but a beyond greatness way. This is like uh, extravagant, magnified, excellent. A way that is beyond measurement, a way for making an impact for Christ so great that it can't be measured. These are some thoughts that I'd pulled together from, from Wayne Mack's book on that. And I thought that was worth mentioning just as a reminder that this is the way that the Corinthian church was going was not the right way. And Paul's showing them the, the better way. It's, it's hard to describe how great this way is. So we're coming to the last three. So love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We'll get into perfection number 13, believes all things. So the very first question I would have, and uh, Wayne Mack addressed in his book, commentators address it, does that, this mean we're to be gullible and naive? Now don't flip the page because then we have some descriptions of that, but does it, are we supposed to be gullible and naive? Perry, you're shaking your head no. That's a good answer. We're supposed to know truth. Yeah, yeah, it's no truth. Are we called to be wise and discerning and prudent? Correct. So, I mean, there's a balance there, obviously. But any comments on that? I think people can make fun of other people for not knowing things. I think that happens a lot. Just because they don't know it or haven't heard it, they're shocked. Like, what? You don't know that? Or, mm -hmm. or whatever. So, oftentimes, gullible that person is genuinely thinking they're telling the truth. Um, and I think sometimes they're made fun of for that. 
and they call it being gullible. Whereas the other person is not being sensitive to, oh, they actually are choosing to believe what you're saying because it does sound like that, that could be true in different situations. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that where people are teared down and called gullible when they really, really weren't in that situation. So I think in a sense, Innocence or something. There is Maybe. something, yeah. So you've yeah. got to be careful, I think. Be excellent. Because they tear each other down. Like excellent of good, innocent of evil kind yeah. of thing mm -hmm. <clears throat> as well. So no, in the sense of just general gullible and naive, no, we should not be. Yeah. But. There's also an idea that to believe all things is to believe the best mm -hmm. people. Yeah. <clears throat> not go to the negative. <clears throat> that's, that's exactly right. <clears throat> that's a really good description. I think there might be a word instead of gullible, maybe <clears throat> not to be gullible, but maybe we'll be vulnerable. Were you going to say charitable? Charitable? Yeah, charitable. So we're to be vulnerable and that we do open ourselves up for being used uh, when you love other people sacrificially. Sometimes you might be, you might be used. But yeah, charitable. So let's, let's go ahead and look at a couple scriptures that talk about that. I wanted to highlight several of them here on, on the second page. Proverbs 14, 15. <clears throat> Somebody want to look that up real quick? We'll look at that. And Proverbs 22, 3. I want to just look at two. So I have volunteers for that. Brock, you got 14, 15? 14, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Yeah, so this not called to be naive, simple, in a foolish sense. We're <coughs> called to be uh, prudent. Somebody got Proverbs 22, 3. I knew it. Okay, Joe. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That is a well-used proverb if you're walking in the Christian life. You're, you're not naive. You, you've got to be You've got to be looking ahead at the path you're on. You've got to foresee there could be evil and you hide yourself from it. Not, not to be a gullible or a simple uh, person. Well, what does it mean to believe <clears throat> all things? I want to go through some descriptions I thought that really got to that. If we are, if we are loving people, we will not <clears throat> allow suspicion, cynicism, or a judgmental, critical attitude become a dominant feature in our relationships. <clears throat> I think that's uh, some key words there. Suspicious. The person is always suspicious or cynical or can't believe that there's good in a person. That can become dominant and can actually uh, destroy relationships and is not loving. We will put the best possible interpretation on what another person has done or said until we have the facts that prove to the contrary. Instead of going the other way, like uh, that, I know they're guilty, I, I'm going to take the dots and connect them and I'm going to make a judgment that's, that's not charitable. Jerry Bridges had a, a good quote, Most of us can slip into the sin of judgmentalism from time to time, but there are those among us who practice it continually. This is from his book, Respectable Sins. These people have a critical spirit. They look and find fault with everyone and everything, whether it's a person, a church, an event, or anything. They end up speaking in a disparaging manner. So I think this is a person who's not loving. They're not believing all things. They're not believing 
the best, they're not believing in a charitable way. Alexander Strockwich, we did get these in the Resource Center. Uh, 15 descriptions of love from 1 Corinthians 13. Very succinct and easy to understand, but he says, <clears throat> in dealing with loved ones, love is not suspicious or cynical. So if the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you are a suspicious person, then that might be one area of love where put off and put on needs to occur. occur. But they're open and favorably disposed towards them. It seeks to understand each person in the best light with an understanding of life's complexities. It believes people can change and improve. And that kind of goes to hopes all things, but it believes that, you know what, even if this person is, I think they are, I believe that they can, they can change and the Lord can transform them. It sees their worth, potential, and future possibilities. It studies motives and makes all possible allowances. So I thought that was a, another good description. Faith comes into this word because believes is actually from the word uh, that we derive faith. And in context, it implies that love sees the best in others or gives the other person the benefit of the doubt, choosing to believe the best about them, not the worst. So the unloving person is cynical, always thinking the worst of somebody and their motives. A loving person is always thinking the best and putting the best light on it. I think that's really the, the key of what is being said. Paul's not saying that love is gullible and believes everything and does not exercise qualities such as wisdom and discernment. What he's saying is that love will believe well of others unless convinced otherwise. Okay, any thoughts on that? We'll look at some specific ways that this can be lived out. But any questions or thoughts so far on, on love? believes all things. <coughs> In his book, Wayne Mack talks about specific areas where we can apply this. What does it mean to have a love that believes all things? It means that we will avoid doing what Proverbs 16.27 says to some people. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. Some people go around digging up evil and then tormenting with words that are like a scorching fire. The picture here is of a person who's constantly looking for something bad in other people. If he doesn't find it easily, he gets out a shovel and begins to dig. That's not a loving person. He's determined to discover some fault in others, even if he has to manufacture it. His mouth becomes a flamethrower from which words that scorch and burn belittle or demean and destroy other people come belching out. Believing all things means that we won't be like that man. That was a, a pretty good one. What does it mean to have a love that believes all things? It means we must avoid doing what Proverbs 17.20 says to some people. A man of crooked heart does not discover good and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. This is the person who has a suspicious or judgmental attitude towards other people. It really doesn't matter what the others do. It will never be quite good enough. He always expects more than the others have done and feels that they sh ha could have and should have done better. Like these high expectations that are never met. And I have these high expectations for people, and if they're not met, then I'm going to be critical or judgmental of them. 
Uh, one more from Wayne Mack. It means that we don't, when love believes all things, it means that we must guard our own attitude. We must, when we have to criticize, admonish, or rebuke. So I thought this was a good one because this happens sometimes to us. We have to criticize, admonish, rebuke someone who's doing wrong. We must make sure that our own motives are pure and keep from trying to tear that person down in order to build ourselves up. Our motive when rebuking or correcting must always be to help him and to protect others. Okay, thoughts on love believes all things? Questions? Perfection number 14 is love hopes all things. The word hope is used 31 times in the New Testament. It's a highlighted virtue that we are to have. You may think of any, I don't have this question down, when you think of anybody or any group of people that were a hopeful group of people in the scriptures, Bereans, who are <coughs> trying to check it out, Paul. Check it out, Paul. Okay, trying to find the the hopeful confidence in, in what he was teaching. I think about Stephen as he was facing being stoned. I mean, his, he was focused. He was hope, and he already yeah. knew. I knew that he had that kind of confidence, that kind of hope. Yeah. Priscilla and Aquila, when they went after Apollos. Mm-hmm. It could have been like you're disrupting, you don't understand. Instead, they went to him and like carefully like explained what they knew. They were just a step ahead of him. Yeah, really, they had hope for him yeah. that he could change, and he'd be a sharp instrument for the Lord. He was yeah. <clears throat> most eloquent preachers in the New Testament. So it's a good example. Barnabas with John Mark. Yeah, you guys are <clears throat> getting some really good ones. <coughs> Barnabas didn't throw him under the bus. <laughs> he, he brought him back into to leadership at some point. Think about those early saints and that are, were martyred and speak to, spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11. Awesome one. I mean, they were looking for another city that hope something better than here. The martyrs from Hebrews chapter 11. First Thessalonians, Paul's writing about them, and he says that you received the word in much affliction and joy. So they were in a lot of persecution, but they still trusted the Lord mm-hmm. and believed. Along those lines, one that always comes to my mind are the Hebrew people when they were in Egypt when Pharaoh said, kill all of the babies when they're born. Well, what did they do? They had a lot of babies. They just kept, I mean, Moses was born during that era. And Aaron, it's like, they didn't, they didn't have fear, they had hope. They, and God multiplied them and prospered them. I kind of liken that to, I, I think parents of all generations are this way, but it's like, I don't want to have kids in this crazy world we live in. Well, look, it's been bad all, at all times, right? So don't not have kids, don't have kids just because things are bad, have hope. I think you see a transformation of hope in Elijah from the point where he said he wished he would not have been born 
Yeah. So you see a transformation in his hope throughout the entire story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at, at the saints in general, there's a godly optimism would be a way of, of putting that, you know, hopes all things. There's, there's an optimism. Why the optimism is in ultimately in God, the confidence we can have in Him. Hope is uh, conveying as the main element a sense of confidence. It means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. In this present context in 1 Corinthians of relationships, it means that the one who loves looks at the bright side of things and does not despair and certainly does not convey a sense of despair to the other person. If there's one foundational thing that biblical counseling teaches you that you give people hope, we are a people of hope. You may be talking to a friend about seemingly uh, hopeless situation. There is no hopeless situation when it comes to biblical counseling. There's always hope. And I think that is what we as biblical counselors, that's a loving thing to do is to be a person of hope. So love is not pessimistic, but shows a godly optimism. I, I like that phrase when it comes to describing somebody who hopes all things. This love hopes for what is good for another, even when others have ceased to hope. And often I think uh, we are confronted with counseling, ministering, serving others who just don't have a lot of hope. And we get to love them by giving them hope, not false hope. Our hope has a strong basis. As 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In contrast that to Ephesians 2.12, that we're to remember that we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then you, you guys know the rest of the whole book of Ephesians, but Ephesians 2 in particular. And speaking of Christ in Hebrews 6.19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Christ is called the blessed hope in Scripture. We can have confidence in Him. I like the way Alexander Strzok put it, that this confidence is not a sentimental wish. It is a faith in God's ultimate triumph and in God's good intentions for His people. This gives Him realistic optimism and confidence in the future, even in the face of repeated difficulties and disappointments. This hope and this hope in the Lord and trust in His sure promises enables a believer to put problems and failures in perspective. It's not the end of the world. It's life hasn't come to an end. There is good to come. All things work together for good.
Wayne Mack gives some examples. A Christian can manifest this kind of love that's hopeful because he has a rock-solid basis for believing that nothing that ever happens to him or around him will ever put him in a hopeless situation. A lot of times people that take their life, ultimately they completely lost hope. There's no way out. We get to give people hope. The Christian can manifest this kind of love because he has no reason for any kind of doubt about the final outcome of his life. We know the final outcome. The Christian can manifest this kind of love because he has hope based on the truth of Job 23.10 where Job said, He knows the way that I take when he, God, has tried me. I will come out as gold. You're going through something tough? Have hope. You're going to come out as gold according to what Job said. Okay, any thoughts? I know I'm moving a little fast, but I did want to get to our breakout time. Anything on love hopes all things? I think sometimes it's easy to give hope with like time. Time will change things, your circumstances will change, and, and we often try to give people hope in that. And that's a false hope that, you know, it may not change, but we can still have hope in the Lord. I think of Mm-hmm. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're about to be thrown into the fire, he said, "You know, our God can save us." But even if He doesn't, He's still God. So, yeah. you know, their hope was ultimately in God. But they thought, you know, He could save us from this. But if He doesn't, I'm still going to hope. So, yep. Anyway, we circumstances may get better, but if they don't, that's not our hope. That's about as hopeless a situation as you could get, right? I mean, get thrown in the furnace. It's got a bunch of fire or a bunch of wood, extra hot. Looks pretty hopeless. Somebody, somebody else say something? Or I really like this one for a lot of reasons, but I think this is a really needed uh, act of love in our time. Is uh, uncertain times like things kind of look pretty bad for what we believe in this nation and I think this is one where we can we have great hope so, so I'm, I'm thinking John that this this one seems a little different than others we've discussed because a lot of the other ones are just our interactions with with other people this one seems to be more this is our disposition this is our we are hopeful people and I don't think we've realize how much just that our disposition or our hopefulness can impact other people in their, their lives I think that's a great point disposition I like that do you have hopeful disposition or a negative hopeless or lack of hope disposition yeah that really sh- that really kind of um, sticks out in our day and time to have that kind of a Hopeful disposition. That's good. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Well, last one is love endures all things. Good old hoopo minnow. To remain or abide under. Literally means to remain or abide under and figuratively refers to abiding under, not simply with stoical resignation, but with a vibrant hope. So here it is. Hope comes again into this, but you do it with, you endure with hope. 
doesn't describe a spirit which can passively bear things, but the spirit which in bearing them can conquer and transmute them. The idea is to continue in an activity despite resistance and opposition. It's present tense, speaks of perseverance and tenacity in all circumstances. It means to endure in times of pain, suffering, deprivation, hatred, loss, and loneliness. So love, if you've never thought of it this way, is persevering through all things like everything, all kinds of circumstances, even when they're not good. In fact, it's most needed when they're, when they're not. It means to bear up under pressure or to bear up courageously or to remain patient in the midst of opposition. But those were three good descriptions, to bear up under pressure, to do it courageously, and to remain patient when you're in those circumstances. It is a military term, and it means to abide or to remain in a place instead of leaving it. So it would be like an army holding a vital position at all cost. <coughs> it's used to describe a situation in which every hardship and suffering was to be endured patiently in order to hold fast. And boy, do we need that as Christians. Do we need this? We definitely do. another uh, description hold fast in one's faith in Christ while undergoing misfortunes and trials to remain not recede or flee and to do so calmly bravely and patiently and James would even say joyfully uh, other descriptions of how we are to persevere and to endure Okay, there's some scriptures here I wanted to go through. Somebody want to read the first one? We'll just go down through and read these. Matthew 10, 22. And you'll be hated by all of them, my name. But if it's the one who is true to the end, you'll be saved. So get used to it, Christian. We used to be looked up to in this country. We're not anymore. Okay? We're hated. So remain, abide, persevere. Not with a martyr complex. We have that ability to endure because we have the hope in all things. We can endure all things because we have the hope in all things. Yeah. Our blessed hope Yeah. And we have lots of people who went before us who have done it. Who have endured. So remain. You know, I think the thing is, let's flee. Let's go to another country. Where are you going to go? Um, all those kinds of things. Endure until the end. So we got Romans twelve twelve. in hope, be patient in tribulation, be consistent in prayer. You want to have the formula for enduring a trial or a tribulation, Romans 12, 12 is your verse. So you have hope, take joy in that, you persevere, you remain patient in your trial, and you devote yourself to prayer.
2 Timothy 2, 10 through 12. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He is a trustworthy saying, If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Wonderful promise. Paul said, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That's what loving people do. And he says, if we endure, we also reign with him. What a promise, what hope. I took some verses out of Romans 12. It's a familiar text for a lot of us. It talks about God training us or disciplining us, correcting us for our good. Much like an earthly father corrects his child. Looking to Jesus, the, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Uh, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. So he's telling us, for your endurance sake, look to Jesus, consider him. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. This is speaking of us when we're going through a time of training or discipline from the Lord. The Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline or training you have to endure. It's a good thing. Embrace it. God is treating you sons for what son is there whom His Father does not discipline. And I love James 1.12. The Living Translation says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. What a promise about enduring. Love endures. Love is strong and tenacious. No hardship or rebuff ever makes love cease to be loved. Love lasts. It holds out. It perseveres in the face of opposition and kindness and difficulties. It never gives up. Serving Christ and His people cannot be done without labor and self-sacrifice. Love gives a person the power to endure all things. You want to minister to other people, you have to endure quite a bit of, of things. You have to have love or it won't last. It's really that simple. We've got 20 minutes. I'm excited for you guys to get into your small groups. And there are some questions on the back. I think there's five or whatever. I want you to go through as a group. I'm going to appoint somebody to kind of lead you through that. I uh, did want you to remember these four things that, that Wayne Mack has often at the end of his chapters. The exposition of these love principles is not to discourage or destroy us. That is not the intent. It's to motivate us to see our constant need of the cross, how much we owe to Jesus, and to motivate us to understand our constant need of grace and fourthly, to cause us to understand that we must and can, by His grace, put off from our lives the unlove that is displeasing to God and put on in our lives the love that is beautifully described in 1 Corinthians 13 so we might become more and more like our Savior and more prolific and bearing fruit for Him. So that's been the purpose of this class, the study of those 15 attributes, descriptions, perfections of love. It's to cause us to put off unlove and put on this type of love, not to guilt anyone, but to cause us to bear much fruit and become more like Christ.
So with that, let's break up into our groups and let's look at these questions in our small group time.